you got your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 16. That is uh, where we are, we are at this morning in our series. We're in a series called uh, Live It. Uh, we're looking at the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we are in the final, final chapter. You'll find, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you'll find one looks like, just like this one here that I'm, I'm holding, uh, page 1,607, you'll find Mark 16. You'll see in the bottom right-hand side a big number 16. That's, that's it. That's, you, you found it if you made your way there. Uh, I'm going to read that uh, portion of Scripture here in a second. Years ago when I uh, was in middle school, um, uh, I think there were some churches in the U.S. who came out and they donated some books to the students at the boarding school that I was going to in Malaysia. And I, I grabbed one of those books, and I, it was, um, I, I don't remember anything about that book. I remember the plot. I don't remember characters. I don't remember uh, anything other than the title. Uh, It was called The Sword of Shannara, and I think that book is still out there somewhere floating around. And I remember being very engrossed in this book that I have no memory of uh, and just really enjoying it and and getting close to the end and, and anticipation, expectation building to find out how this, this story was going to uh, resolve, how this conflict was going to come to an end. And, um, and as I got to the end of this, this story, I was, uh, I was really disappointed because here's the memorable moment for me. It just, it didn't end well. It just kind of, I mean, it was like the chapter ended. It was like, that's it? It just sort of hung there. There was no resolution. And you, you know what I'm talking about. You've been to a movie, and, and, and you watch it, and it ends like, what? That's how the movie ends? Or you watch the series Lost, and you're like, that's how it ends? Or uh, you, you've, you've been there before. Now, as I'm reading this, this book, as I, I'm just pretty disappointed, I, I look in the back of the book, and I, and I can see that pages have been torn out of the book. And so actually what had happened is uh, the, the last chapters of this book I was reading had been ripped out by someone in a church in the U.S., and then the book was donated to missionary kids, you know, around the world. It's just evil. Uh, um, and, you know, it was this day long, long before Internet, long before used bookstores, and especially with that have English books. I was in Malaysia. So I never knew how this, this story ended. I don't want to know how this story. It's a thick book. I don't, I don't want to read it again. It's just that, that we've all had that experience where a story doesn't come to the end that we desire. We don't get all the questions answered. We, uh, we wonder, you know, what, how's this going to proceed? I mean, is there a sequel? I mean, how, how, do we, how do we get some resolution to the story? And, um, and the reason I'm sharing that, if you've ever felt that way, uh, the Gospel of Mark ends kind of like that. It feels like the last chapters have been, have been ripped out of, of the Gospel. It, it just leaves you hanging. And uh, if you've got your Bible, uh, look at this, because uh, Mark 16, verses 1 through 8 um, you'll, you'll see it there, but on the, if you get the Pew Bible, the bottom of that first column on page 1,608, you'll see in parentheses this phrase that says, shorter ending of Mark. And then on the second column on the same page, uh, you, you'll see kind of towards the top, it says the longer ending of Mark. Well, what, what is that, alternate endings uh, to the gospel? I mean, what's going on here? Here's, I'll explain this about why here in a second, but here's what's going on. The, the original manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark, um, they end at verse 8. 
fact, if you've read any of the, the writings of the early church fathers, they, when they talk about Mark, it, they, have no, they have no clue about verses 9 and following. Um, the earliest manuscripts end there at verse 8. And I just love the transparency of, of those who put the Bible together to let us know that. Um, and the reason they did that is because verse 8 ends with, uh, well, let me just read verses 1 through 8. You'll get a feel for it uh, of how this, this story ends. Mark 16, verse 1, Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Period. End of book. Can you feel it? Like, well, wait a minute. His body's not in the tomb. Uh, there's an angel there saying, you know, that he's risen. But, but I mean, so... There's some questions that come to mind. Put yourself in the story. I mean, make it modern day. Uh, someone you love very much has passed away. You've been to the funeral. You've been to the memorial service. You've been to the graveside service. And you're, you're there and you saw the body in the casket. You saw the casket lowered into that hole in the ground. It was a sad day. It was a mournful day. And you've come back three, four days later just to sort of have your private moment there at, at the graveside. You, you've brought uh, flowers or you, you just brought maybe something a memento, something that's of sentimental value to you and you're coming back to this, this gravesite. And you get there and as you, as you come close, you, you recognize that there's a bunch of dirt piled up around this, this hole. And you realize that, that they, they've re-dug the grave and this is really strange. So you get up to that, that, that gravesite and you look down the hole and there this coffin is open and there's no body in the coffin. And on the right side of the coffin there in, in, in the ground is a man dressed in white and he says to you, don't be alarmed, right? And you're alarmed, all right? You're, you're like, what is going on here? Um, and, and this person says to you, you know, Bob is, is risen, you know, Sally is risen, they're not here anymore. You, you, you got a lot of, I mean, imagine that's just, the, that's the end. You got a lot of questions, don't you? You're like, wait a minute, really? Is he, is he really alive? And if so, when he showed up, you go back to the Jesus story, when Jesus shows up to his friends, what's the response? What's the reaction? What's he say? I mean, what, what, tell us more. But Mark he just goes, yeah, they, they were frightened. I mean, the women fled. They ran for their lives. I mean, they were trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Well, I got questions. Give, give me some answers. I mean, here, here's some of the questions that you and I would ask. The first one is, did he really rise from the dead? It's really, this is an important question because those early followers of Jesus, they, I mean, Jesus told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again on the third day. 
But even as the, the, the women are going to the tomb, when Mary goes to the tomb and she has this conversation, she thinks she's talking to the gardener. Uh, what she says when she discovers the tomb is empty, she says, you know, where did you put the body? Where's the body? She doesn't come to the conclusion, tomb is empty, Jesus must be alive. No, she comes to the conclusion, someone's taken the body and moved it. Kind of like when, uh, when, when my kids were younger, we had this fish bowl in the house. And there was, we had this little fish in there. And, uh, and it swam around this you know, solitary life in the fish bowl. And one day we came home and um, you know, Charlie, the Chinese fighter fish, was no longer in the fish bowl. Um, and we did not come to the conclusion that Charlie grew legs and walked out the door and lived happily ever after. No, we had a cat with a very big smile on its face, right? So the natural conclusion would be mittens got into the fishbowl. The, 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 the early disciples are like, empty tomb. They don't come to this natural conclusion that Jesus has conquered death. It's, okay, who took the body? They're, they're skeptics. They're, they're not believers. So if you're here today and you're a skeptic, you're in great company. That's ex- the people who knew Jesus best were skeptics early on. So this question, did he really rise from the dead? That's an important question to answer. Second one is this. How did the disciples respond when they were told that the tomb is empty? By the way, this longer and shorter ending, here's what's happening here. These questions that I'm walking through are being answered in the, in the shorter and longer ending. It's like what, what they're doing here is they're gluing in the last chapters of the book, so to speak. Say, no, this is, this is how it ends. This is, this is how these, these questions that you may be asking are, are being answered. So how did the disciples respond when, the, when they were told the tomb was empty? In fact, if you, if you look here at verse 9, it says, After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. And they rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. And that's the story of the, of the two on the road to Emmaus. Still later, he appeared to 11 disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief, but because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. That, 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 those, those questions are being answered for us. As the chapters, those last chapters are sort of being glued in by people who are asking these questions. And one more is how they react when they first saw Jesus. That's another question. I think that's the last question, unless we have one more. Let me have one more. How did the disciples respond to what Jesus said. All these questions, Mark doesn't answer them. Why does, it, why does Mark leave us hanging? Why does he leave us with bewilderment, confusion, and fear? Here's why. Mark is writing to a church in Rome that is on the, in, the, in the first chapters of severe persecution under a Roman emperor named Nero. And these emotions of bewilderment confusion, being frightened or being fearful are exactly what that young church is experiencing. And what Mark is doing, this is the first gospel that, is, uh, that has been written. It's a, it's, a, it's a birth of a new literary genre. 
And Mark, in really in, in, in an artful way, is, is leaving this story in a place of fear and confusion and bewilderment, and he's handing the quill back in that day, or to us, he's handing us the pen and saying, look, I'm giving you an unfinished story. Your story is unfinished. How will your story end? What is your response? How are you going to respond to the resurrection story? And then how are you going to live it out? Because right now, you are you're bearing your cross. This young church is taking up their cross and following after Jesus. And it is, there is pain. They're losing their jobs, they're having their homes taken from them. People are putting, being put into prison. Uh, there's people being put to death in brutal fashion. And so right now, you're in a place of confusion and fear, and you're bewildered. And, and let me just tell you this, that yes, he's alive, but do you believe it? Do you believe that after this horrible suffering, that Jesus is alive? And how will your story end in light of his story? And he hands the pen to these young believers, these, this new church, and lets them finish their own story. So I, I, often that's, that's why you've got these shorter and longer endings, because people were trying to resolve the tension that Mark left there. So the question for you and I is, how, how, what's our response to the resurrection story? Let's take those same questions and say, if you were writing your own ending to the story, how would you answer these questions? If, if you're journaling your answers to these questions... Uh, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe the story of the empty tomb? What's your response to Jesus? Have you chosen to follow after him? And if so, what has Jesus said to you? I mean, well, I read what he said to those disciples in the longer ending. He's saying the same, same things to us. We, we have his word. How will you as a disciple respond to what Jesus has said? How will your story end? See, the pen's been handed to us. And, 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 and in another way, there's also some, some handles in this story for us to process as well. A couple of things that, that help us bridge the gap from 33 AD to, to April 2014. To take it from, from that point and that day when Jesus was discovered and he was, his tomb was empty, uh, that bring, it, bring it here, Salem, Kaiser, 2014. Here's a couple ways to do that. One is, uh, in verse 3 of chapter 16, it says, On the way they were asking, the women were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? They're on the journey to the tomb. They've purchased spices, thinking that the body is, is still in the tomb. And, and, and they're on the path. They haven't made that last turn yet where they could see that the stone has been rolled away. And it's a large stone. You know, graves for us are different uh, today than they would have been in, in Middle Eastern time. They would, something similar to this would have been a reality, a, a cave with a rock that you would just roll kind of in this groove in front of, of a tomb. Who's going to roll that big stone away? Here's what they're doing. They're trying to solve a problem that's already been solved. The, the stone has already been rolled away, but they're on this journey, on this path, and they're they're trying to solve a problem that they're about to discover has already been solved. And you and I do that as well. I mean, what keeps you up at night? What gives you insomnia? What do you worry about? What are you anxious about? What are you fearful will happen? Could it be that you are trying to solve problems that have already been solved? 
Maybe you just, in faith, need to say, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to Christ. Well, how do you know if the problem has been solved? Well, you, you, you talk to your, your heavenly dad, your heavenly father. You make your requests, and you listen to him, and, and, and you trust him in what he says to you. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, says, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow. Don't worry about the clothes that you're going to wear. See how my father cares for sparrows. See how the lilies, they dress the valley. And uh, if God can, can clothe the, the, the hillside like, like that and he can feed sparrows, won't he take care of his own children? So he goes on to say, so seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So understand that oftentimes we get all worked up and anxious about problems that have already been solved. A second thing would be, you know, that in our community, right here in Salem and Kaiser and in faraway lands, there are people who feel this disconnect with God and they're trying to solve this problem of a disconnect with God and, 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 and they're doing it in their own way because they haven't heard about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, they haven't seen it demonstrated in the lives of people who say they do follow after Jesus. And so they're trying to resolve this, this own problem in their own way. And someone needs to go and, and tell them that the problem has been solved, that you and I can be in relationship with God. And we don't have to earn it. It's a gift from God, which leads us to another way to apply that same uh, concept is when we receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ on the cross, uh, it's a gift. We, we are made right with God. We don't need to then add works to it to try and earn God's pleasure in us. He is completely pleased with you. He accepts you. In fact, he says that you're adopted into his family. you, you got to get this. When Jesus Christ went to the cross and, and he shouted out, it is finished, he meant it. The work is all done. Yes, we do good works, but not in an attempt to get God to like us. We do it because God does like us. He does love us. And out of worship, we want to do, we want to extend that grace that we have received. So oftentimes what happens is in, in, in the form of legalism, we want to solve problems that have already been solved as well. So just a, just a takeaway, we we'll just put it on the screen here. Don't try and solve a problem that's already been solved. Maybe you're worried, anxious. Maybe you've you got a neighbor who needs to hear about Jesus. Maybe, maybe you, you think that I've got to do these things in order for God to be pleased with me. No, he's, he's thrilled with you. Not just in a life of worship, follow after him. The second thing I would say to you is, is found uh, a little bit further in that, in that, that uh, ending of, of Mark 16. Uh, it's what the angel says to the women. In verse 7 it says, Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there just as he told you before. Now, why Galilee? They're in Jerusalem. Why, isn't, why, why not Jesus have a conversation there? Why go all the way back to, to Galilee? Well, Galilee was where it all began. It's where Jesus showed them how to do ministry. So he's taking them back to where it all began to then show them that from here in Galilee, it's going to go to the ends of the world. He's connecting some dots for them. And specifically, he's taking them to a specific location because when they start walking those paths, when they stand by the Sea of Galilee, when they get in their boat and they're out on the water, they're, they're reminded of their stories of interacting with Jesus. I mean, imagine them in their boat and talking about, remember how Jesus used to teach them his boat? Remember how uh, we were all just freaked out on the Sea of Galilee and then Jesus walking on the water. Peter, remember when you walked on the water for like seven seconds? You remember all that? And don't you think Peter would have remembered 
the day that Jesus said, hey, let's go fishing. And, and Peter said, nah, I've done that all night long. It hasn't worked very well. But Jesus says, no, nah, let's, let's go out. And Peter does. And then he says, cast your net here. And cast his net. And he has the best day of business ever. And Peter is like, you know, depart from me, Lord, for I'm, I'm a sinner. I mean, that, there's that story early on in Galilee. And then John captures this incredible story at the end of his gospel. He talks about the disciples going back to Galilee, going back to this place where they used to fish. And they're fishing again. And they've been fishing all night, haven't caught anything. And then there's a voice from the shore shouts out, hey, have you guys caught anything? And they're like, no, nah, fishing stinks. Your Bible doesn't say that, but in my mind, it's kind of how the conversation goes. It's been a, been a rough night, I haven't caught anything. And, uh, and then he says, well, throw your net on the other side. So they throw their net on the other side, and they just catch a boatload of fish. I mean, John says 143 fish that they, they, they end up catching. And see, Galilee, when you go back to Galilee, it's a place where light bulbs come on. Peter, the light bulb comes on. Hey, I've been here before. That's Jesus. And he jumps into the water. We don't even know if he knows how to swim, but he, he makes it to the shore because he wants to be with Jesus. Going back to Galilee, when you're confused and bewildered and frightened, going back to Galilee is going back to a place where you can start connecting the dots and, and, and the picture starts to, to form for you because you, it's, it's gotten foggy. You've lost clarity. And I would also say, when you're bewildered and confused, we'll just put this up on the screen here, that when you're in a place of bewilderment, you're confused, you find yourself spiritually disillusioned, confused, or frustrated, go back to the last place you had certainty. For the disciples, it was Galilee. That's where things made sense. Now, they didn't understand everything, but to them, things made sense there. And now, when Jesus shows up in Galilee, the light bulbs come on, oh, and and that going back to that specific place was important. But sometimes it's not a specific place you need to go back to. It's to the last place where you had some sense of clarity about who God is. It's a place where you, where you were saying, yeah, God is good, and I, I love God. He's been so faithful to me. But then you went through this trauma. You went through this pain, this disappointment, this discouragement. And you came out the other side, and you're, and you're just like, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know if God's trustworthy. Oftentimes, if we can go back, maybe not even to a specific place, maybe it is, but go back to a place where, what's the last thing you believed about God? And oftentimes, when you go back to that last place where you had vision, you had clarity, it's there where the light bulbs come on. Oh, I, I see so in this story, Mark leaves us hanging. He, he hands us the pen and says, how are you getting, what's your response to this resurrection story? How's your story going to end? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the dead? Do you believe in the full implications of that? Are you taking that message forward like the disciples did? They went to the ends of the, of, of the earth, paid for it with their lives. Are you willing to, to take up your cross and follow like those early disciples? And... Um, are, are you going to believe in the full work of Jesus Christ on the cross? And if necessary, will you go back to Galilee to allow God to bring clarity to your confusion? How will your story end? The pen's in your hand. We've gone through this whole series 
called Live It. And now it's time. How will we respond? Let's pray together. So Lord, this morning, there are people in this room who are doing great. They've had a great week. There are people in this room who are floundering. Some who've walked on water this past week. Others feel like they're sinking. Some numb. Some just going through routines. Wherever we're at today, Lord. Maybe it is being bewildered, confused, and frightened. Would you be our present God? Would you take us to our Galilees? Open our eyes. Hear your voice. Would you empower us by your spirit to to finish well? We pray this in your name. Amen.